Today's shear begins ten lines from the top of Daf Pei Gimel. Before we begin the Gemara, we glance at the side where you see our Nosei heading, the topic heading, which we indicate last till Omid Beis, with the Mivne structural note combined. The diamonds will highlight Piske Halacha Shel Rabyoisi, and these Piske uh, means halachic rulings that follow the opinion of Rabiosi that's found in different Tanaic sources and the double underline highlights the names Rav and Shmuel they're Mufa'im Ayadei Rav and Shmuel these various Piske Halacha Halachic rulings are presented by Rav two presented by Rav and two presented by Shmuel the topics that will be featured is, involves the androgynous the topic that we saw in our Mishnah about the androgynous enabling his spouse to eat from Truma. And in our previous shiur, we indicated that the Mishnah reflected the opinion that the Androgynous was a definite male. Uh, another topic involves Harkova. Harkova is grafting, uh, grafting trees before the Shemitah year. Planting, uh, the, we'll see a Tanaic source that deals with planting and grafting uh, before the Shemitah year. Uh, the third topic involves koshi. Koshi is a very rather detailed topic that it's uh, unlikely that we'll be able to get into much by way of detail. It's elaborated upon quite extensively in Maseches Nida, but it has to do with a woman who gives birth uh, in a in a situation where prior to the birth she had been experiencing a blood flow. Generally speaking, when you're dealing with uh, women folk, blood flows will result in some form of tumah, of defilement. However, if the blood flow can be, uh, can be associated with the, with the imminent birth, uh, then that blood flow will not be the source of defilement. That's the topic of koishi. And the fourth topic is called kidush. That's the term the Gemara uses. This has to do with Kilayim, where a person places his uh, grape vine branches uh, over the grain growing in his friend's field. So a person takes his vines and places it all over the grains of his friend. What effect does that have in terms of Hilchis Kilayim? The, as we said, the double underlinings highlight Rav and Shmuel. The diamonds introduce the Sugis. Note that these this marking scheme will continue uh, on Omid base, where diamonds are going to be used again to highlight the very same topics, and the double underlines used to highlight Rav and Shmuel. So now we turn to the Gemara text, ten lines from the top. Amri Bey Rav Mishmei the Rav. The the term Amri Bey Rav is a term that in Maseches Sanhedrin it's a reference to Rav Huna. So Rav Huna is saying in the name of Rav, Halacha k'Rabbiosi b'Androgenes u'Baharkova. The Halacha follows the opinion of Rabbiosi in the case of Androgenes and the case of Harkova, which we mentioned has to do with grafting. Ushmul Omar b'Koishi u'Bekidush. The Halacha will follow Rabbiosi where he appears in the context of the rules of Koishi and Kidush. The Gemara now explains what those are. Androgenes. Here the Gemara saves ink because we have already discussed this. This is our 
our uh, parak is dealing with the issue of the androgynous, that which we said, uh, Rabiosi in the Mishnah, where we saw uh, Rabiosi uh, together with Rib Shimon was of the opinion that androgynous that marries a woman and he is a the androgynous himself is a kain enables her to eat from truma and. I know that we might sound a little repetitive, but in our previous year we mentioned that this was an indication that Rabiosi is of the opinion that an androgynous is a definite male. Harkova, Tisnan, what's the topic of Harkova? So we said this has to do with the Shemitah year. And as, as you all probably know, the Shemitah, the sabbatical year in Jewish law, represents a year when we refrain and desist from. Uh, almost all agricultural activities. The source says, this non, ein noitin, vein mavrichen, vein markiven, erev shvias, pochois mishloishim yoim lifnei Rosh Hashanah. The uh, sabbatical year sets in on the first of Tishrei, what, on the day that we generally call Rosh Hashanah, but it's once every seven years. So what, this source is telling us that one is not to plant saplings, nor do havrocha, which is a form of extending a vine, and markivan is grafting. On Erev Shviyas means the year before Shviyas, it's the, Shmit, it's the sixth year of the seventh year cycle. One should not engage in these things within 30 days prior to Rosh Hashanah. According to Rashi, those 30 days have the have a status have a shviyas status a status as if it's the shemitah year itself. So therefore, all agricultural activity during those thirty days would be prohibited. Now, there's a a discussion about what we just mentioned in the Toisvis, but for our purposes, we're going to just stick with Rashi's pshat for our shiur. So that those thirty days before shviyas are considered. A, are considered the Shemitah year itself. If a person was to do that during those 30 days, so he's violated the rules of Shemitah and he has to uproot that which he did. Now, there's a... and We should, we should point out something else that Rashi says. It's known that there's a term klito. Klito means it takes hold, it takes root, or the the grafting takes hold. In order for things to take hold, they don't do so. Uh, they don't take hold in less than 30 days. So if you were to uh, graft or do these things uh, within the 30 days before shemitah, then technically speaking, it's it's taking hold on the shemitah year itself. There's more to it on this than that which we just said, though. Rabbi Yudah Omer, Kol Harkova Sheino Kiletes Bishloisha Yomim Shuv Eino Kiletes. This will be explained later, but translated means any any grafting that doesn't take hold within three days, it won't take hold. Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Shimon Omerim Shtei Shabbos. Now we've underlined Rabbi Yosi's name because he's really the one we want to focus on. He says that for grafting to take hold, you need two weeks. The Omar Rav Nachman, Omar Rabo Baravua. According to the Tanakama that said that you shall not do the uh, the uh, the grafting within thirty days, You really need to uh, do the grafting 
a minimum of 60 days before the Shemitah year. Now as we said before, the 30 days prior to the Shemitah year is considered like the Shemitah year itself. The Tanakhama also says that in order for these procedures to take hold, to root or to, to, for the grafting to, to uh, adhere, that itself requires 30 days. So, in order for things to be done in a mutter, in a permissible fashion, you're going to have to see to it that the grafting is done uh, a minimum of 60 days before the onset of the Shemitah year. Because if you don't, if you do it 55 days before the Shemitah year, the grafting itself is going to take 20, is going to take 30 days. That's going to put you into that 30 day pre Shemitah year zone, which itself is considered like the Shemitah year. And we don't want uh, agricultural uh, activities or finalities taking place during that time. According to Rabbi Yudah, who said that in order for grafting to take hold, you need three days. You have to allow three days. You need 33 days before the onset of the Shemitah in order to do the grafting. You need three days for the taking hold. And then the three thirty days, which itself is considered like the Shemitah year. Which uh, is Rabbi Yosin Rabbi Shimon is the opinion that says you need two weeks. Which means you need to have 44 days before the Shemitah year as your last chance to do the Harkova, the grafting. So up to this point, then we've we've seen Rav and the uh, Amri Bey Rav presenting Rav as two areas where we paskin like Rabiosi, even though there are other opinions on these given topics. In these topics of Androgynous and Alkova, we will follow Rabiosi's opinion. Ushmul Omar Bekoshi Bekidush. Koshi, what's the case of Koshi? Disnan. Now we have a Tanaic source from Asechas Nida and for the sake of simplicity, we're not going to get into all of the details. It's a fairly involved topic. Rashi does give a nice amount of background. I'm not sure if Rashi is will be clear to those who haven't had a good background in learning Maseches Nida, but uh, try it anyway. Uh, we mentioned before that Koshi has to do with a woman who's uh, who's pregnant and her birth is is, is uh, kind of imminent. We're talking about a time period close to the end of her pregnancy. Koshi indicates uh, birth pains. If she experiences uh, blood sighting together with birth pains and that situation continues up till the birth the woman is considered uh, tahora vis-a-vis the blood sightings that she had she'll be Tamea Leda anyway she's Tamea because of giving birth but she's not considered what's called a Yoledis Bezov which means a woman who gave birth in a situation that she was already Tomei in a case like that there are additional days of 
purification that would be necessary. So we're looking right now to, um, let's say, to minimize, or maybe say maximize the amount of time that she can actually have blood sightings as long as they are together with pain and she will avoid being categorized as a Yoletis Bezov, as being Kameya uh, as a result of female blood flows. The Gemara continues, Kishuya, how long before the birth can she be considered uh, not Tameya? The, the blood that she sees can be associated with the impending birth. Rabbi Meir Omer or Yom, even forty or fifty days, up till fifty days before the birth, if she experiences uh, blood sighting for uh, a period of 50 days accompanied with uh, with birth pains when she gives birth she is not considered tameya as a result of that blood that she had seen Rabbi Yehuda Omer Dayo Chadosha Rabbi Yehuda says that it's enough that we give her a month that's a literal translation there's much more to, under, to that in understanding the opinion of Rebuta, but that's for another time. And here, once again, we've underlined only Rebiosi's name. He's the name we want to emphasize right now. Rebiosi says that Kishui cannot be the basis of uh, exempting the woman from Tuma for more than two weeks. That means that if she was uh, seeing, let us, say, let us say, that you have a woman that was seeing blood three weeks before she gave birth. And during all those three weeks, she was also experiencing pain, pain, uh, birth pains, and then eventually gave birth. Well, since it was for three weeks prior to the birth, she would be considered Timea. In addition to Tomas Leda, she'd also be considered Yoledes Bizove. However, if the b- blood sightings along with the pain uh, were, were experienced for no more than two weeks, which led up to the actual birth, she would be considered Tahora. Kiddush, Desnan. This has to do with the realm of Kilayim. The word Kiddush is, a, is a, an interesting word. It has uh, it has almost an opposite connotation when you look at things superficially, etymologically or philologically, when you look at things in a deep way you'll find it's actually, there's, there's one root meaning to all the different possibilities, but superficially Kiddush is, off, is associated with sanctification it's also associated with ruination. Technically speaking Kiddush has to do with something that is separated now, separated could be for the good and could be for the bad. In this case, we're looking at things kiddush in a in the negative sense, kiddush in a kilayim ruination sense. This nan hamasachich kifano agabit shochavero. Masachich is a word that might be familiar. The root of the word is familiar probably to many of you. You can see the word schach. Schach is the covering that we place over a sukkah, the branch covering over a sukkah. Here, we're not talking about a sukkah, but we are talking about a vine that's growing from the ground and you took the branches of the the vine and placed them over your neighbor's grains. 
Harei ze kidesh v'chayev b'achriyuso divrei Rebbe Meir. By doing that, you have ruined his his uh, vine, his uh, grains, and you are obligated to compensate him for that. That's chayev b'achriyuso. You have to uh, compensate him. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon Oymrim. And again, we emphasize Shitas Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi, along with Rabbi Shimon, do, do, by the way, note that in the last framed sources and the Mishnah as well, Rabbi Yossi was appearing with Rabbi Shimon. But our Sukhi is focusing on Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon Oymrim, we continue at the top of Omid Beis. Ein Odom Oyser Dovar She'eno Shalom. You cannot... Uh, ruin someone else's things. Now, there's a very interesting discussion that you find in the Toysus at the top. What do you mean you don't ruin someone else's things? If I, if I come along and, and throw a, a big hunk of meat into your pot of boiling milk, you're not going to be able to uh, drink from the uh, milk in which the meat was cooked. That's meat and milk. So, we see the people forbid, prohibit other people's things. So Tesis presents a rule and that is that when the matter is something that is dependent on thought, for example if uh, I were to bow down to your animal in idolatrous worship, that would not make your animal uh, a ne'evad, it wouldn't be considered halachically something that was worshipped because my bowing down to it as an idol is all a matter of uh, of thought that I am considering in my mind your animal to be a an idol. Likewise, with regard to the topic of kilayim, without getting into into details, the uh, issue of kilayim is something that has a great amount of connection or dependency on a person's intentions. So, since kilayim is a topic where where uh, human intention is a major factor. Rabbi Yossi says, you can't prohibit someone else's things. Now, as we said earlier, Rav presented two halachas, and Shmuel presented two halachas, of, of course, halachas of Rabbi Yossi. At this point, we want to know what does each one do with regard to the others. When we presented Androgynous on Omer Aleph, we said that Rav held that we rule like Rabiosi with regard to Androgynous. Well, what does Shmuel say about that? Toshma, the Omar Shmuel, the Rav Onon. Shmuel said to Rav Onon, Lesso, Lebraiso, Mekami, Masnisen. Shmuel said that we will reject the Brisa in favor of the Mishnah. So that would show that Shmuel holds like Rav, that the Androgynous will be Machil Betruma. Arkova Mali Omar Shmuel. What does Shmuel say regarding the issue of Harkova, the issue of the grafting prior to the Shemitah year? Toshma, the Omar Le Shmuel of Onan, Tni, Kamando Omar, Shloisha Ushloshim. Now that figure of Shlosha, three days, that was not like Rabiosi. That was uh, the opinion that we saw uh, in the name of Rebbe Yehuda.
so that on this score, Shmuel does not agree with Rav's ruling. Koishi and Kiddush, the next two diamonds, these were halochas that were presented in the name of Shmuel on Amad Aleph, so we want to know what does Rav say about that. Koishi mali Rav, what does Rav say about the ruling regarding the number of days uh, leading up to the birth which had blood and pain? Peku, this is something that we don't have an answer for. And Kiddush mali Rav, what about the issue of the uh, one fellow placing his vines over the grains of his neighbor. What does Rav say about that? Omar of Yosef, Toshma. So Rav Yosef resolves this by saying, uh, come, come in here, the Omar Rav Huna, Omar Rav, Ein Halocha Karebi Yosi. Rav Huna says that the Halocha is not like that of Rav Yosi. Rav Yosi says that the owners of the vines is not accountable, so uh, Rav Huna is saying that we're, we're not going to rule like that. We're not going to exempt him. Omerle Abaye, my chosis de samchis aho. Abaye asks Rav Yosef, why is it that you rely on this ruling, uh, the ruling of Rav Huna? Smoch aho di Omerav Ado, Omerav, halocha ki Yosi. Why not rely on Rav Ado's presentation of Rav as saying that we do hold like Rav Yossi that, he, that said Ain that the fellow was exempt. So Rav Yosef answers Abaye and he says that Amri be Rav Monu uh, use the arrow and you, get, you, you can go back to Omid Bey's Omid, uh, that is Pegimol Omid Aleph and you see that when we were presenting Rav and his uh, rulings like Rabiosi in Androgynous and Arkova, who, who introduced Rav? It was Amri Bey Rav that introduced that. And, and here we're asking, well, what does, the, what does Rav hold regarding the other two halachas? Well, we're interested, let's say more specifically, in what is Amri Bey Rav's version of Rav hold regarding those other two halachas. So who is the Amri Bey Rav? Amri Bey Rav Monu, Rav Huna. It is Rav Huna. They're one and the same. Rav Huna Omar Ein Halacha. And it's Rav Huna that is, uh, the, that is the one that ruled the Halacha does not follow uh, Rav Yossi in the case of the Mesachic Kifano Gabit now, as we go on in the Gemara, you can see that we have highlighted uh, with a geometric form the names Rabuda and later Rabiosi Rabuda. Uh, here they deal with a uh, the issue of the Tumtum Shenikra Bnim Sazachar. Rabihuda Omer Tumtum Shenikra Bnim Sazachar Lo Yachloitz Mibnei Shuhu Kisoris. We saw this in the Mishnah on the Pei Aleph and Aleph, a tumtum, an individual whose uh, organs of gender are covered over. They are covered over, meaning with some with some membrane or skin, and then it, it, it was torn open, and he was discovered to be a male. So the Mishnah, in the Rabbi in the Mishnah said that he is not to do chalitza. He is disqualified from chalitza because he is like a he is considered a like a saurus. A saurus is someone who is incapable of procreation, and hence he's excluded from the realm of Yibum. Yibum is 
Yibum and Chalitza is the realm where we want the surviving brother to marry and continue the name of his deceased brother through bearing children. But he is a Soros, so he's, ex- he's disqualified from that. So we saw that Rabbi Huda uh, says that a Tumtum, even though he was dis- he's discovered later to being a Zohar, having the male organs underneath that membrane, uh, nevertheless, he does not do chalitza. Om Rabbi Ami, my Ovid lay Rabbi Huda, well, Rabbi Huda, with his opinion, what is he going to do with the following uh, story? Le Tumtum de Biri. The story of Tumtum in Biri. The Osvua Abe Kurse, the Ikra. He was placed on a stool and his uh, the membrane tore open. The Oilid Sheva Boninen. This man eventually fathered seven children. Huh, if he fathered seven children, he can't call him a Soros. A Soros is someone who's, who's sterile. The Gemara responds, For Rebbe Huda, Omar Lehi, Rebbe Huda would tell you, Chazor Abonov Me'ayin Heim. Check out carefully where his children really come from. In, in uh, simpler words, his wife uh, was... Uh, fooling around with someone else on the side so she was impregnated by another man or other men uh, maybe the community thinking it was the tumtum uh, of Biri that impregnated her husband but not so so that Rabuta maintains his position that a tumtum shenikra is in, in reality is sterile Tanya Rabiyosibuta Omer tumtum lo yachloitz uh, a tumtum should not participate in chalitza, shema yikra, and here we'll skip the bracketed section uh, momentarily. The language contained therein is not accurate, and he says that a tumtum should not do chalitza because uh, he might eventually the uh, might get torn open. In other words, the organs of gender might become exposed. Venimsa nekeva, and it will turn out that he's actually a woman, uh, and uh, therefore the. Um, his uh, uh, participation in chalitza, whereby his shoe would be removed, in effect, it would be the shoe being removed from the foot of a woman, which is ridiculous. The im nimsa zohar, and if he turns out to be a male, shema yimsa srischama, he might turn out to be a srischama, uh, someone who is a who is sterile from birth, and also disqualify, and, and as such, disqualified totally from the rules of Yibum and Chalitza. My Binayu, what is the difference between Rabbi Yossi Rebuda and Rabbi Yudah, his father? In other words, you have uh, Rabbi Yehuda saying that a Tumtum Shinikra uh, should not do Chalitza, and Rabbi Yossi Rebuda also says that a uh, Tumtum uh, Shinikra uh, shouldn't be doing Chalitza. Omar Rava so Rava explains, Lifsoil b'mokim achin, the lachloitz shaloi b'mokim achin, ika binayu. There are two situations. In order to uh, appreciate this, we take a look at Rashi. Rashi that we're looking at is found uh, further up in the narrow lines. Lifsoil b'mokim achin, im yesh achim shleimim imo. If you have uh, several surviving brothers and other regular brothers that are with him. The law tumtum. 
then the tumtum is the one to do the chalitza with the deceased brother's widow. The Rebuta de Omar Shu Kisoris, according to that views the tumtum shenikra as a soris, machsik le besoris vadai, he's considered a certain soris, below postalachin, and as such, the fact that he did chalitza with her doesn't disqualify her from doing yibum with, any, with, some, with one of the other brothers. Umisyabemis, and she can therefore do yibum. Ularabiyosi shema kotani, sveikahu. Rabiyosi used the word shema in his presentation, <coughs> which indicates an element of doubt that maybe he is a, a, a sterile individual, maybe not, maybe he is a regular guy. Uposla alo achim, and by his doing chalitza with her, it disqualifies the widow from doing yibum with the other with any of the other brothers, Dilmo Lav Sorisu, Vachalitza, he, maybe he's not a Soris, he's a healthy fellow, and his Chalitza then has significance, thereby disqualifying her from Ibum with any of the other brothers. Velachloit Shalobamokamacham, that's the other point of difference. Rashi continues, Imein Shomach Elohu, if there is only him, only the Soris, this Tumtum Shenikra, the Rebuda, Lobaya Chalitza, and according to Rebuda, there is no need for him to do Chalitza whatsoever. The Rebiosi Rebuda, Baya Chalitza Misafik. According to Rebiosi, the son of Rebuda, Chalitza is required because there's the element of doubt that maybe he is qualified and uh, eligible for Yibum, and hence he can do, he can and should do Chalitza in order to release her, the widow, to marry whomever she wants. Uh, before we continue in the Gemara, we glance at the side. The topic heading reads Chiyuv al Shnei Makomos Bandragonis. This is a point that we had mentioned in our previous year. This has to do with a um, with guilt uh, of someone of a man having relations with an androgynous. An androgynous is an, is, a, is an individual that has both male and female characteristics. So, in addition to the orifice that a man has, uh, a woman has an additional orifice called the, the female orifice. If a man would have intimacy with the androgynous, through which orifice is their, is their guilt? So, certainly through the orifice that is characteristic of another man, it would be two men, a homosexual relationship. What about through the female orifice that he possesses? Now, we turn to the Gemara. There are three lines of names. Omar, Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda, Omar Rabbi Abba, Achvod Rabbi Yehuda Bar Zabdi, Omar Rav Yehuda, Omar Rav, Androgynous Chayovin Olov Skilo Mishte Mekomos. This is a point that we saw on Pei Beis Omid Beis as well, that re, a, a man, a regular man that has relations, uh, that inserts his, his own male organ into the androgynous through either one of the two orifices that he has, will result in stoning. Homosexual relations are uh, not only deplorable, but they're, they're abhorrent in the eyes of the Torah, and not only that, but it's considered one of the, the most severe 
uh, offenses, as is illustrated by the fact that it carries with it the most severe capital punishment, namely stoning. So that, uh, according to Rav, uh, a a regular man that has uh, uh, intimacy, uh, sexual intercourse with an androgynous in either one of the two orifices that he possesses, that will release, that will result in a uh, in stoning. Meisvei, Rabbi Lezer Omar, Androgynous Chayavim Lov, Skilo Kibazochor. Rabbi Lezer says that relations with an Androgynous would be considered like relations with a regular man. Bamed Vamurim, Bezachrus Shelo. That is, if you, if the uh, men are. Uh, cohabiting as two regular men would. Now, notice we we uh, d- dashed underline It means if the if the uh, regular man uh, inserted himself into the female orifice of the androgynous, there would be exemption. Well, that that shows then uh, you have a Tanaic source not like Rav. The Gemara says, "Who the Amar ki haitano Rav." Uh, adopts the position of another Tana, the Sanya Rabbi Simoy Oimer Androgynous Chayev Olov Skilo Mishte Mekomos, and we've dashed underlined this as well, showing that this is the basis of Rav's opinion. So Rav has a Tanaic source upon which to rely, namely Rabbi Simoy. Now the Gemara gets into sources. My time of the Rabbi Simoy. What is the basis of Rabbi Simoy? Omar Rava. Bar Hamduri Azbroli. Rava tells us that Bar Hamduri explained it to me. That's a posuk in, in uh, Sefer Vayikra, Perak Yudches, Posuk Chof Beis. Generally speaking, this posuk is taken to be a reference to homosexual relations, but the phraseology of the posuk leaves room for additional drushes. So uh, the, uh, the Gemara analyzes. Bar Hamduri explains to Rava, "Ezehu zochar sheishbo shnei mishkavos." The pasuk sp- speaks about relations with a zochar and uses the plural mishkaveisha that he has two forms of of entrance. So, what kind of man has two entrance points? Heve Omer Ze Androgynous. So that would be the Androgynous, so that according to Rabsamoy, the Pasuk is saying that uh, uh, a man that enters an Androgynous in either one of his orifices will be Chayav Skila. Chayav is, means guilty of stoning. The Rabbonon, now the Rabbonon who disagree with that, Afalgav Mishkovos, even though he has two orifices, Es Zohar Ksiv, the Pasuk emphasizes the male aspect, that namely only uh, in the, the male aspect and not the female orifice. For Rabbonon, Zohar Greido Mino Lehu, the Rabbonon who, to, who used this Pasuk to address the issue of, a, of an androgynous and limiting the uh, the possibilities of offense with regard to an Andreganus. Where did the Rabbonon learn that there is a basic prohibition of two regular males cohabiting? 
The Gemara answers, Mi ve'es isha. The uh, Pesach ha, uh, mentions, actually the, the beginning of the Pesach says, ve'es zachar. So the ve'es clues him into that, that, th- that case as well. Isha shalo kedarka. Where do we learn the? Uh, where do we learn in general? Arias, arias are forbidden forms of intimacy with uh, man and woman. Where do we learn that if uh, if we want to use an example, a, a brother having relations with his sister, but he, the man, the brother, uh, has relations with his sister shalo kedarka, namely entrance to her. Not through the regular female canal uh, or uh, orifice of reproduction, but rather the other orifice. What ha- what is the source for uh, a, a brother and sister, father and daughter, uh, a, a son and mother, uh, where the woman who is prohibited is entered by the man in the shallow kedarka? fashion, the unusual, the, the non-regular fashion. Menolahu, from where do we know that? And so the Gemara answers, May Isha. The, the reading that we are adopting in the Gemara, you can see, is taken from the Bach in Os Beis. So from the word Isha, in that Pasuk, we learn this idea that the Shalok Kedarka uh, Arias violation is uh, violated in the Shalokadaka form. I should say, even in the Shalokadaka form when dealing with a woman. Omar of Shizbi, Omar of Chista, Lola Kol, Omar of Eliezer, Androgenes, Zohar Hu. Even though Rabbi Eliezer said that relations with an Androgenes is Chayev Skila, like relations with another man, it's not with regard to everything that an androgynous is considered a regular male. Shimato Omer if you were to say that Rebelezer views an androgynous as a regular male, you have androgynous appearing in the animal kingdom as well. Bemugdoshem Yikdash. In the case of sanctifying sacrifices, dedicating sacrifices, an animal that has both genders would be capable of being uh, sanctified as a sacrifice. And, and that's not so. So that if an androgynous were viewed as a regular male, so just like a regular male animal can be dedicated as a sacrifice, so to the androgynous, but yet we see that's not so. From where do we know that uh, one does, cannot sanctify uh, to, uh, as, a, as a sacrifice an androgynous animal? The Tonu Rabbonon. We have a Tanaic source that deals with many different, uh, um, we'll say, exceptions to uh, what would be a kosher and acceptable sacrifice. So the source reads the Tanu Rabbanan Hanirba v'Amukta v'Neved v'Esnan u'Mechir v'Tumtum v'Andreginus. This source is actually dealing with bird sacrifices. Nirba is a is a bird that some man had uh, intimacy with, 
Muktzah is an animal that was set aside to be offered to an idol. Vanevad is an animal, a bird in this case, that was worshipped. Esnan is a bird that was paid to a harlot for her services. Mechir would be a bird that was exchanged for a dog. The Tumtum Vandreganis, if its uh, organs are other, its organs, gender organs are covered over, or it has dual gender organs. Uh, now, a bird offering, when it's sacrificed, it is not slaughtered as one slaughters outside the base Hamigdish, but rather the Kohen's thumbnail is inserted into the back of its neck, and that's called Malika. When you're dealing with a regular acceptable sacrifice, uh, and malika is done to it, the a bird animal, if it's a, if it's a sin offering, bird sin offering, the coin eats that. However, if it's an unacceptable bird offering, so then this it's this malika form of slaughtering is basically killing it. Killing it makes it into a nevela. A nevela is in the case of birds kosher variety birds results in Tumah the person becomes Tomei and his clothing also become Tomei as he is swallowing it that's what Metamen Begonam Abes Ablio means Rabbi Eliezer Omer Tumtum Vandreganis Ein Metamen Begonam Abes Ablio Rabbi Eliezer says that when it comes to these two these two cases of Tumtum Vandreganis there is no problem in their serving as a proper bird offering and the Malika that is done is the proper uh, sacrifice and slaughter of them. And hence there is no Tumas Begodim Abes Habli Ashohoi Rablozer Omer Kol Mokom Shinem Arzochor Nekeva where the Torah specifies gender by using the words either Zohar male or Nekeva female Ato Motsi Tumtum Vandreganis Mi Benehem You would exclude a Tumtum and an Androganis. However, when it comes to birds, the Torah does not use gender, specific gender references with regard to bird offerings, neither male nor female. You will not exclude a tumtum nor an androgynous. So, what is the point of this whole source? It is to show you that with regard to androgynous, in general, Rebel Lazar says an androgynous is the equivalent of a regular male. But when it comes to androgynous and bird offerings, it, the androgynous is considered something, or let us be, let's, actually, let's rephrase that. When it comes to uh, uh, as, as sacrifices, animal sacrifices, where gender is specified, so androgynous is, is excluded. So an androgynous is not viewed as a zohar, as an acceptable uh, male animal offering. With regard to birds, so there's a there's a different standard, because by birds gender isn't a factor in the first place. But with regard to animal offerings, gender is stated, and by that having been stated, androgynous is excluded. Hence, an androgynous <coughs> is not considered a zohar with regard to carbonus. We have this taught as well in the following Tanaic source. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Hakilayim, Utrefa. We're continuing, by the way, with the topic of sacrifices. And it says in the source uh, that a Kilayim Trefa, Vyotzidofen, Tumtum Vandreganis, 
loy kedoshim velo mekachim. You see a list of different uh, type situations of animals that would not be acceptable as sacrifices. Uh, Kilayim is a where a sheep and goat mate and produce a mixed breed animal. Trefa is an animal that has a uh, some type of I'll say organ defect or limb defect, rendering it a trefa. The Yotzadofen is a cesarean birth animal. Tumtum and Androgynous we already have discussed. They are lo kedoshim velo mekachim. The Omar Shmuel lo kedoshim betmura velo mekachim beoise tmura shma mina. Now, what is Shmuel telling us? That means lo kedoshim betmura would mean that if I were to take a regular sacrifice and attempt to replicate its sanctity onto uh, onto one of these, it would not take hold. Whereas, in the case of uh, a, 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 another a, a regular hulin animal, regular, uh, healthy, normal, uh, common animal, or even if it's blemished, so tamura will take hold, but not in the case of these uh, items. And not only that, but they, uh, a kilayim, a trefli, and stuff, and these things cannot generate Tamura either from them to replicate their sanctity onto something else. Now, you might ask if they can't become sanctified, so how do they gain sanctity in the first place? So Rashi addresses that particular topic. But uh, what we what's uh, clear from here is that you can see uh, uh, you see androgynous mentioned, and they do not become sanctified. Indicating that they are not considered a regular zohar. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Chayovin Olov Skila Kezohar, a man that has intimacy with an androgynous, will be punishable by stoning as if he had relations with another male. Tanya Omar, Rebbe, Kesholachti Lumoitoiro Eitzel Rebbe Elozer Ben Shamua. When I, says Rebbe, went to learn Torah by Rebbe Lozer ben Shemua, Chibru Olai, Talmidov, Ketanagolim Shel Beis Bukya. Chibru means they, they gathered together, his students gathered together uh, upon me, like the uh, like chickens of Beis Bukya. Uh, Rashi says, Shel Beis Bukya, Bekiim v'charif v'eimanichim Tarnagol Nochri b'neim. It's a type of their... Uh, apparently these are chickens that don't allow strangers amongst them so these students were very sharp uh, and analytical and and uh, didn't have too much uh, patience for uh, outsiders coming in that's and they didn't leave me to learn from him uh, anything other than one point in our Mishnah Skila Kezohar. That very point is what <coughs> Rebbe learned uh, from Rebbe Lozer ben Shamua. Uh, as you can see, with this we come to the end of the <coughs> eighth parak of Yevamas Parak Orel. And Mirza Shem, next time uh, we'll start the ninth parak. Uh, 